0: You're listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. I'm Garrett Ashley Mullet, and I want to talk about everything. Hello, and welcome to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show. Who am I? None other than the Garrett Ashley Mullet. The one and only, so far as I know, I don't know of any others, if you do, let me know where I can find them and uh, we will battle to the death. There can only be one, like Highlander, just kidding. A lot of people think that when they very first see my name on some social media profile or on my email address, they think that maybe my wife's name is Ashley I'm going to go on the record right now as saying I think it's weird when people have joint profiles on social media where they have the one member of the couple's name first and the other member of the couple's name second, like a first and the middle name. I think that's weird. I don't think it's necessary that we become Siamese twins in order to prove our love and dedication to one another. I don't think we have to be the weird multi-headed creatures from mythology in order to say, hey, we're one flesh. We are one flesh. The two shall become one flesh, God said. That was supposed to be a picture of marriage. But Ashley is not my wife's name. My wife's name is Lauren. Lauren Elizabeth Mullet. My middle name is Ashley. Ashley actually is a name from... Gone with the Wind. Ashley Wilkes is one of the chief characters in that book, which became a very popular movie, which has in subsequent months, recent years, been canceled because it portrays slavery in a not fully evil, wholly evil, purely evil fashion. It presents it in a maybe caricatured way or in a way that people today find distasteful. But when I was growing up, my mother loved Gone with the Wind, and she loved the character of Ashley Wilkes because he's such a gentleman. Now, he's not just such a gentleman. He shouldn't have laid that kiss on Miss Scarlet O'Hara. That was in bad form. For the most part, he stays true to his wife, even though... O'Hara is constantly trying to get him away, and she's trying to get in between Ashley and his wife. Ashley, for the most part, is a gentleman. He's a Southern gentleman. He's got the most excellent manners, but sometimes he needs to be a little bit more assertive, quite honestly. And so I hope, in my case, I have the good qualities of Mr. Ashley Wilkes after whom I was partly named. But I also hope I'm a little bit more assertive when I need to be assertive. I'm better at drawing boundaries. I'm a gentleman, hopefully, but also a man. Sometimes it's good to be a gentleman. Sometimes it's good to be assertive and to say, this is how it is. This is how it's going to be. Here's the line. Get on the other side of it. You're on the wrong side of it. Today we're going to talk about Patience. Patience is a virtue, I've always been told. And it's not a virtue that I feel I especially embody. People think, with us having seven children, that we must be such patient saints. And sometimes maybe we are more patient than most people, than other people. I don't know. I suppose it depends on how you quantify. Patience. I know based on my internal world, on the thoughts that go through my head, the feelings and the emotions that I have, I don't always feel patient. In fact, I very often feel impatient. I feel like we're not doing what we need to do or we're not doing it well enough or we're not doing it fast enough. I get impatient. We had a great conversation, Lauren and I, my wife, whose name is Lauren, whose name is not Ashley. My name is Garrett Ashley Mullet. My wife's name is Lauren. Lauren and I had a great conversation with Mrs. Virginia Rogers after church on Sunday. Virginia and then Kale came over after he was done talking with somebody else. I kind of intruded on the conversation because, wouldn't you know it, I was getting impatient to go home (laughs) because my children were getting impatient to go home. They were complaining that they were hungry. And I knew, too, that my wife wasn't feeling all that great over the weekend. She started her second round of antibiotics to address the condition that we've just recently found out that she suffers from, and the antibiotics will, in the long run, have her feeling better than ever, we pray. But in the short run, after you first start taking antibiotics and you have a major bacterial problem, you can have a kind of detoxing period where you don't feel so hot as all this bacteria that's been trying to take over your body starts to die off. Your body is trying to get rid of this stuff and that's a tiring, exhausting process. I knew she wasn't feeling so great before we got to church and she told me on the front end, we really shouldn't stay too long. And we should probably head home and get some food for the kids and just take it easy. She didn't sleep well the night before. And I wanted to be sensitive to that. And there's an element of selfishness for me in wanting to get us home. Because when she's not feeling well, when mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. And she is a wonderful woman. My wife is. I don't deserve her. Because she doesn't typically... React to not feeling well by being grouchy. I, on the other hand, seem to have a couple of modes of being infantile when I'm not feeling well. One of the ways that I react when I'm not feeling well is to get depressed. Everything's awful. I'm worthless. Why do you even keep me around? I feel tired. I don't feel like I can do anything. Have I ever accomplished anything in my life? I get just really, just really blech, emotionally, when I don't feel well physically, it bothers me. I'm a man of action. I have a bias for action. And when I can't act in the ways that I imagine would be productive and beneficial, it really frustrates me. It really, really bothers me. There's good things that I want to do. And when I don't feel like I have the resources, whatever those resources are, whatever they take the form of, it bothers me. And I feel guilty and I feel embarrassed and I feel frustrated, and I don't always handle that frustration and that embarrassment the way that I ought to. And my wife, on the other hand, she typically, when she's not feeling well, she gets quieter, and she doesn't spread it around, and she tries to stay pretty well even-keeled, and to her credit, she's felt not so great for a long, long time, and so we don't really know how to prepare ourselves for her feeling all right in the near future, maybe. Can we dare to hope? Can we dare to look forward to that? We pray so. We hope so. She wasn't feeling so great, but then the service ends, the sermon ends, we get our singing done, the announcements are over, everybody gets up and they start mingling and talking. And we love some of you, community church in Evans, Colorado, because the people there, they might not always show up on time on the front end, but boy, howdy, do they love to chat with each other and talk with each other and check on each other and see how everybody is doing and discuss what's going on in life and have meaningful discussions and genuine discussions and conversations about how to help and encourage one another. They do that really, really well. And that's not a given. We've been other places. We've attended other churches. We've been very much a part of other churches through the years. And sometimes in some churches, as soon as the service is over, everybody is up and they're out of their seats and they're out the door to head home, to eat their food, to watch football, to amuse themselves. They don't want to be there any longer than they absolutely have to. At Summit View, if we are there until 1 o'clock, if we don't get home until one thirty, it is not unusual because there's just a lot of good conversations that are being had and the kids, by and large, to a very great extent, they get along well, they play well together, they hang out, they have good conversations in part because their parents are raising them up in that way. But my wife was having a great conversation with Virginia Rogers, which I so rudely interrupted. I kept circling in a all-too-obvious way, picking up things and being indirect, sitting nearby, hint, hint. And I don't know. I Forgive me. Forgive me if I do that and you're trying to have a conversation with my wife. And I'm just hanging off on the margins. I don't want to interrupt a good conversation, but all good things must come to an end at some point. And I don't know, maybe I I need to find a better way of gracefully letting my family know that it's time to go, guys. Let's go. We got other stuff we got to get done today. That all brings us to the topic of patience, because I don't fully know how to have a bias for action. And also be patient when things don't go according to plan. When I don't feel like I have control over the situation the way that I envisioned in my head that I was going to. I thought on the front end that things were going to go a certain way. I had prepared maybe. I had planned some things I was going to do and say when this happens and that happens and then it didn't happen that way. And it didn't go that way. This other person acted in a way that I wasn't anticipating and I don't maybe like it or maybe it's fine and I don't like it. Or maybe it's not fine and I don't like it. And now I've got to figure out what to do instead of doing the thing that I had planned on doing. And now I've got to wrestle with these emotions of being frustrated and feeling guilty about being frustrated. And do I need to confront them if they misbehaved or should I just let it go or... Whatever, right? All that stuff. All that internal dialogue. When I was younger, I was averse to planning. I read in James, and you might think this is affected people that knew me back then can vouch that this is the case. I read James. He says, listen, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to the city, live there, and work for a year Work and turn a profit. You're boasting and your arrogance and all such boasting is evil. Instead, what you should say is, God willing, we will live and do this or that. I read that. That was going to be my life first. That's what I was going to hang my hat on. Oh, look at that. It says, Don't boast about your plans. I'll just not make plans. And part of that, to explain, was the product of having parents that divorced when I was in junior high. Part of that was the product of moving around a fair amount and getting uprooted, of thinking that we were gonna stay in a certain area and I was gonna have certain friends and certain relationships and certain experiences, and then having been uprooted and moved somewhere else. Part of that was having a mother who had emotional problems and who was sometimes very unpredictable, very often was unpredictable from one day to the other if she was depressed, if she was angry, whatever she was feeling, she was feeling strongly. And you didn't always know from one day to the next, from one hour to the next, which experience you were gonna get being her son. And so then I get to early adulthood, I get to my early 20s. Lauren and I got married when I was 20 years old and 20 days, 20 days past my 20th birthday. And I thought, you know, In order to be patient, in order to not get frustrated when things don't go according to plan, I'm just not going to have plans. Problem solved. Easy. I got this. (laughs) I can't get frustrated when my plans don't go according to plan if I just don't plan. Right? Let's just take this a day at a time. Let's just see what happens. And then some good things happened that we hadn't planned. And overall... Our goal was, our focus was, whether we maybe had too much tunnel vision or not, it's another story. It's an episode for another day. What happened was that we made a commitment to having good stewardship and a good attitude and contentment regarding however many children the good Lord gave us. If we had zero children, because sometimes that happens, one or both of the married couple... Persons, the man and his wife, or the man or his wife are infertile. They can't have children. So if we have zero children, we'll be content with that. God has a purpose and a plan. We'll trust the good Lord and be a good steward of having no children. If He gives us 20 children, that was always the number we just threw out, right? We'll have 20 children. We'll elope and move west and have 20 children, and it'll be great. If He gives us 20 children, let's just strive to be content with however many children He gives us. Well, having that attitude, having that mindset, being conscientious objectors to birth control and contraceptives, we rejected the bag of sundry goods that my mother-in-law gave to my wife on our wedding day. She gave my wife a bag of goods, and I won't go into details, but a bag of goods Designed to help you avoid getting pregnant on our wedding day. Here, you're going to need this. Wow, thanks, Mom. Thanks. I wonder how my mother-in-law feels about us having children. (laughs) Or no, I don't, actually. And then we had our first eight months, roughly, after our wedding night. And then 11 months after that, we had our second... And then a year and a half after that, we had our third. And then about two years after that, we had our fourth. And before you know it, we've got four young boys. And I've got to figure out, how do I provide for my family? How do I provide for my wife and my children? And my wife had had health problems before in high school. And we were just ignorant about such things. We didn't know what was going on. We're only now, only now. Halfway through her life and my life, and we've now known each other and had some kind of a relationship, whether it was friendship or dating or engagement or marriage, for half our lives. Only now are we figuring out what was going on all this time. But we started seeing more dramatic uh, symptoms of her health condition that we now have a diagnosis for when. Our fourth was on the way when she was pregnant with our fourth son, Daniel. And the economy was in tatters in our area. We got married in late 2006. And then 2007 and 2008, you've got the economy crashing around our ears. And Southern Ohio is hard hit, double-digit unemployment. A major employer moved out of Clinton County, Ohio. Thousands of jobs lost and the ripple effect to supporting industries businesses meant a lot of people were out of work and then here I am I'm a guy without a plan who didn't finish college who has some college but didn't finish college who's alienated a lot of people because I was damn determined to get married A bunch of people said, no, 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 finish college. Lauren needs to finish college. You need to finish college. You're such a smart guy. Or if you're not listening to our advice, maybe you're not so smart after all. Maybe you're not the kind of person that we want to see marrying our dear, sweet Lauren, the librarian, the sweet, quiet girl we love that we've watched grow up. You're going to ruin her life. So a lot of people... Criticized me, it alienated me, it ostracized me. And then I've got a wife who's got some health problems and four young boys and a lot of people that have turned their backs on me and blame me for not having planned this out. And I got really frustrated. I got really I got really sick, actually. I was so stressed out. I had eczema problems just all over, all over my arms and my legs because I was so stressed out. My asthma was out of control because I was so stressed out. I couldn't get calls back when I put in applications. I would get a job and it was just whatever I could get, whatever I could take. It wasn't where my skills were the best necessarily, but then you just figure it out. You develop skills. I didn't know how to do this, but then I have to figure it out because that's what I got to do to bring home a paycheck and provide for my family. And now I've got to figure out how to make plans. And I think I may be overcompensated a little bit. Once we moved to Montana in 2012, and I got into oil and gas, I got a taste of success. All of a sudden, I'm making six-figure income, and I'm free. I'm out here in the middle of eastern Montana driving this brand new pickup that they entrusted me with and I've got a company cell phone and a company laptop and I'm supposed to take care of these dozens of wells and report back and double check on other people who are doing work. Hey, how's this going? Can I get a status update? I'm reporting that back to higher ups and pretty soon I've got my feet under me and we're buying our first house. Right now, as an aside, we're in the process of selling getting ready to sell our house in Sydney, Montana, which is bittersweet. I'm really nervous about it. Please pray for me. I've never done this before. It's the first house we've ever owned, first house we ever bought. I don't know how to do this. Once it's done, I'll probably look back and say, well, it wasn't so bad. But right now I'm so nervous that this being our biggest asset, I'm gonna mishandle it. I'm not gonna do it right. I'm not gonna get the full value out of the house that we could. I want to get as much of a return on our investment in that house as possible so that we can then turn around and buy a good house here in Colorado because I think this is where we're at. This is where the Lord has brought us. and We believe this is where he intends for us to be. And so that being the case, we should set down roots. We should buy a house. We should settle in. We should commit. And I'm looking back on... When we first bought the house, I'm thinking about back when I worked for Conoco, I thought, wow, six-figure income, who saw this coming? All those people who wrote me off, thought I was going to ruin Lauren's life, look at me now. And then once I got a taste of that success, I wanted more. And that's all right, but needless to say, things have not gone according to plan just because there was initial success and the Lord blessed us things have not all been peachy keen. There have been disappointments and setbacks and upsets and course corrections. I've made some mistakes. I've made some really good moves. I've made some smart moves, some smart decisions, only to have other people's actions, sabotage them, thwart them. At the end of the day, I wrestle with how much should I be trying to plan and orchestrate and Maneuver things, and how much should I just leave it in the hands of the Lord? I really wrestle with that. I I really, really do. I was trying to prove myself for so long to the naysayers, to the people that had isolated us and shut us out, written us off, in no small part because I love my wife. I'm a bit more of a nomad. I'm a bit better at taking other people's opinions of me with a grain of salt. But it was especially hard for my wife when we were pushed away, when people ostracized us early in our marriage. And I would never wanted that for her. I didn't necessarily want us to listen to everybody's advice because I thought we were getting some really bad advice from people that were more concerned with the status quo than they were with what the scriptures say. I mean, call me crazy. And people did. (laughs) People did call me crazy. Everybody doing it this way, or it's always been done like this, or your opinion should not be equal weight or greater importance than, here's what God's word says, and that's a light to our path. But then the problem at a certain point changes. Instead of catch up, you've caught up in that area and it's time to think a little bit more holistically. I'm thinking in one dimension and I know I'm doing this and sometimes I get really frustrated with myself because I realize this is not in balance. This is not so good. I'm thinking about one dimension of well-being And I'm frustrated with other people for not getting with the program and not getting on board. And I'm insecure, right? I'm insecure because it didn't feel so good to be treated that way before, to be written off, maybe to be abused, mistreated, treated unfairly, betrayed. It didn't feel good. And I don't like that. And I don't want that again. And so how am I going to handle the fact that Despite my best plans, I may not execute perfectly here. Or this might go a different way. How am I going to handle that? And am I going to respond to a change of plans or things not being under my control? Am I going to respond in a way that honors God, that loves the people under my care? Do I have a balanced, mature, reasonable Expectation with regards to the things that might happen, what other people might do, what I need to do. There's a humility piece deeply intertwined, involved with patience. I'm not omniscient, guys. And sometimes it's good to remember that. It's good for me to remember that, for me to remind myself of that, first and foremost to manage my expectations. I'm not omniscient. I can read all the books. I can study all the books. And I'm trying to, right? But you can only read so many at a time. I've limited myself to seven. And for a lot of people, that's a lot. But there's a world full of books. I'm never going to get through all of them. And even even when I'm listening to audiobooks at double speed, I'm not retaining everything. I'm not understanding everything. I'm not God I have limited knowledge, limited understanding and on top of all of that I still have a sinful nature to grapple with. And so patience for me sometimes, very often, takes the form of embracing the fact that I don't know all that I might wish to know and I can't control all of what I might wish to control. And I can't anticipate all of how everyone else around me might act and react here and exactly what they're thinking and exactly what they're saying behind the scenes for good or for ill. Sometimes when they speak well of me, it makes me uncomfortable. And that's proverbial. The scriptures tell you to beware when men speak well of you. So I feel good about that, but then beware is a pretty neutral term Beware can take a good direction, it can take a bad direction, depending on what you pair with it. If you pair humility with it, beware can be a beautiful thing. Humility before God, before man, beware is wisdom. Without humility and with impatience, beware can set you up for all kinds of trouble. And so, when people speak well of me, I need to have humility. When when people speak poorly of me, speaking of speaking poorly, trip over my tongue, when people speak poorly of me, unfairly, or fairly, right? Then it might be a valid criticism, but also might not. When people speak poorly of me, how do I handle that? Do I handle that with humility? If it's fair criticism, am I listening to the criticism, and am I learning what I can from it And am I being gracious and thanking? Because that's also proverbial. The wise man, when you correct him, according to the Proverbs, will thank you. Because you've helped him to become more wise. You've given him something that is precious to him, which is an opportunity to repent or to change course, to be a better steward, to honor God better, to honor the people around him better, to think rightly The wise man will thank you when you correct him. Am I wise? Maybe. Not always. Not always, not as often as I wish I could say I was, honestly. I see the response from some people when my children are bouncing off the walls. There's this panic. And I recognize that panic, and I'm familiar with it because I feel it too sometimes. I see the impatience that people have with my children sometimes because they're just overwhelmed. And part of that impatience is I don't have confidence that I have what it takes to be able to respond well to whatever these children are about to do next. Sometimes I see the way that people are with each other and there's a conflict and it starts from something small and then one person digs in their heels and the other person digs in their heels And they have lost patience very quickly with the fact that this is not going their way. This is not going the way that they expected it to, the way they want it to go. This person is not doing what they want them to do. It's easier to recognize what everybody else needs to do in that situation when you're on the outside of it, when you don't have a dog in the fight. It's not your reputation on the line. It's not your desires. It's not your plans. It's not your ego. But you look at it, And you think, hey, guy, calm down. Take a step back. Is this a situation where you can be a little more flexible? What do you have to lose? You might not like their plan. It's not the worst plan ever. You'll be able to explain how that plan could be better. Better if you take a deep breath. Patience. Patience. Patience is closely related to perseverance, endurance, enduring trials It's a very biblical thing. Suffering, you might suffer even when you're doing exactly what you should do and you're not always doing everything that you should do, neither am I. So sometimes your suffering is because you're stupid and you make bad decisions. As the John Wayne quote goes, life is hard, it's harder when you're stupid Sometimes we make bad decisions, and we have to suffer the consequences. And God, in his grace, sometimes shields us from some of the consequences, some of the worst consequences. But at the end of the day, patience helps us to endure discipline when the Lord is disciplining us and when our bad decision led to consequences. Consequences! That's a key and Peel reference, by the way, if you were wondering. Sometimes you did what you were supposed to and it still doesn't go the way that it should have and some people are going to blame you even though you did what you were supposed to because they're impatient and because they're selfish and maybe they have an ax to grind and maybe this is an opportunity for them to look heroic and they're happy to throw you under the bus, all too happy because it takes attention away from their mistakes. God sees that. He'll deal with them. Trust in God. Don't trust in people. Whoever fears God will be safe. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Fear God means you think about yourself in relation to Him and you remember to keep perspective and to be humble. And part of what comes with that is that you remember to keep other people in perspective and remember who they are in relation to God. You stop being so afraid of that person over there when you remember how finite they are in knowledge, in power, in ability, in goodness relative to God. Remember who God is, and you might have an easier time being patient and meditate on that because it's easy to forget. It's easy to forget. When it gets dicey, when it gets foggy, you're driving on slick roads, and visibility's poor, And you're trying to do what you're supposed to do. You're trying to meet your responsibilities. Like, for instance, having a good job, having a good career, having stable hours and a consistent schedule and time off and good pay, being treated with respect in the workplace to where you don't come home racking your brain about whether you're worth what they're paying you, whether you're about to lose your job, whether you should find a new line of work, whether you're cut out for any kind of line of work. You're trying to do a good thing, and I've had that happen. I've had that happen recently. Someone, several someones are malicious, speaking poorly of me, criticizing me maliciously. It might be unfair. It might not be the way that I had planned this out. I might not deserve it. I can still be patient. I still should be patient. I'm still going to be able to honor God and fulfill my responsibilities better if I persevere under trial and endure humbly, like Christ, suffering. If Christ wasn't too good to suffer unjustly, why do we think we are? I mean, we never put it in those terms, obviously, until the Lord lays it on our heart. Maybe we should repent. Holy Spirit convicts us of our wicked attitude, maybe some not so righteous behavior, not so righteous words. Be blameless. Patience as a virtue is part of how you be blameless. Don't make the situation worse. If it's a bad situation, you're not going to make it better by being impatient, by putting a fish through the wall. I did that one time. I was trying to get a cabinet out at one of my dad's fixer-upper houses in Ohio. And things were just not going well. And my wife's health's not good and we're living with my dad because I can't get a job that pays enough for us to move out. People have ostracized us and my health's not great. I've got eczema all over. Air conditioning doesn't work. We've got fleas that got brought over from somebody else's house. I won't say who. But we've got fleas in the house. Somebody gave us some furniture and they had cockroaches, so now we've got cockroaches out of money, out of friends out of prospects, out of patience, So I pick up this cabinet, bathroom cabinet, vanity, whatever you want to call it, on the side of the road. I find it because somebody's just put it on the curb, and it's like, oh, it doesn't look so bad. It looks better than the one in my dad's fixer-upper house here. I'm going to bring it home. Load it up, take it home. I'm going to pull out the one he's got right now. I'm going to put this one in. And so I'm trying to pull the old one out, and I'm wrestling with it. And I should have taken the plumbing apart further than I did before I started. And I didn't. And next thing I know, I'm breaking one of these PVC pipes that's in the wall. And boy, howdy. I snapped. That was the last straw. And I turned. And Next thing I know, I've got a hole in the wall. Because I laid into that wall, just threw my fist right through it. There's a... Big, huge hole in the wall the size of my fist. So then I feel I'm super, super great. Way better. That improved it. That helped. Nope. Nope, it didn't. Nope, it didn't. Didn't make it better. Now, in addition to the broken pipe and all the other things that are frustrating me, I have a fist that's throbbing and bloody and a hole in the wall to repair patience patience that was not the end in that situation it would have been better for me to take a deep breath to remember who god is to meditate on what his word says i should be about even if other people were not going to respond well to my being faithful or trying to be faithful by god's grace Meditate on who God is, what he's called us to, and you might just be able to take a deep breath and endure setbacks, changes of plans, disappointments. That's all I got. I'm not going to say anyways this episode, so if you were waiting, boom, I passed the test. Thank you for listening. Until next time, God bless. You've been listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. For more content like what you heard today, visit the homepage for On The Rock's blog at onthe.rocks. Also, check out On The Rock's blog podcast with Micah Hirschberger weekly on Anchor FM. If you haven't yet done so, hit subscribe to this podcast also. And you can reach Garrett Ashley Mullet with any comments, questions, or complaints at garrettmullet at gmail.com. Hello, this is Garrett Ashley Mullet, host of the Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM, and also chief editor and writer at On The Rocks blog since 2015. I have just published my first book. It is available on paperback and Kindle from Amazon.com right now. Are you thinking about homeschooling? Is someone you know considering it? No shortage of books will help you figure out how to do it. This is a book about why you should... Written from the perspective of a homeschooling father of seven who was himself homeschooled growing up, this is an encouragement to fathers and mothers to think rightly about their children's education. What our children believe about God, themselves, one another, and the universe, these are all features of their education, and the worldview our children develop is downstream of the sort of education they receive. And this is why we homeschool. Maybe you are a parent of homeschooling children, and you could use some encouragement Perhaps your local school shut down and now remote learning or homeschooling has been forced on you. Now you could use some help finding motivation to make the best of it. Or maybe you have a friend or family member considering homeschooling their children. Rather than starting you off with another home education how-to, let us start with why we homeschool. And as we figure out the reasons we should do this thing, the way to do it will be made far easier. Just go right on over to Amazon.com and type in And This Is Why We Homeschool in the search results. It'll come right up. Order your copy today.